Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byram of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Edelman. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time visit to the Pipeline Show, then welcome aboard. And if you're a returning listener, well, then extra special thanks uh, for sticking it out. Uh, in fact, a uh, quick shout out to uh, a fellow who's been uh, following the show for, he says, uh, over a decade now. And uh, let me know about it on Twitter. So thanks to Chris Nova. He's actually been pumping my tires a bit uh, online. I appreciate that, Chris. Thank you. And uh, thanks for sticking around. Uh, I mentioned uh, when I replied to him on Twitter that uh, you know he's he's been following the show even since uh, it left TSN 1260. And then I realized he's actually in Ontario, so he probably wasn't listening to it uh, when it was on radio anyway. Uh, so I really appreciate that, Chris. Always makes me wonder how people first got introduced to the show and uh, continued on, and how you listen. Maybe I'll make that the question of the week: uh, how you first, how long you've been listening, how you first found out about the show or were introduced to the show. And how you get your copy uh, every week or when you do get a uh, an episode, how you like to track that down. Uh, let me know on Twitter and I'll, uh, I'll throw up the question and we'll go from there. Thanks again to everyone who has signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Your support keeps the show going. So I really appreciate that. And I hope you're enjoying uh, your bonus perks like early access where you get to hear all the interviews that you'll hear on this episode of the show. They've actually been available to patrons. Uh, for two or three days uh, already this week, uh, I guess a couple days, uh, as this show actually came together a little bit later. I'll be honest, Monday, Tuesday, I had no con- confirmations for guests or anything like that. Didn't really have an idea what the show was going to look like. And then I set up three interviews, and they're all terrific. Uh, I think you're actually really going to enjoy today's show. I'll tell you who's going to be on here uh, this week momentarily, but let's get to uh, a couple of news notes items. First off, the BCHL, the, the British Columbia Hockey League, has announced uh, and they've set December 1st as uh, the start of their season, which is a couple of months after the WHL announced uh, uh, what their intending start is out of October 2nd. Interestingly, uh, the BCHL commissioner quoted as saying, we're going to set a date a little bit later and hope that we can uh, start earlier uh, as opposed to uh, setting a date and then having to push it back. Uh, so interesting take there. Big difference for the individual uh, CJHL leagues like the BCHL and the Alberta Junior Hockey League and the SJHL and so on. Uh, you're usually only having to deal with one jurisdiction, obviously the Alberta Junior Hockey League. It's all in Alberta. 
BCHL, a little bit different because they have the one team uh, south of the border in uh, Washington State, so they still have to deal with the border there. But for the most part, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, they're all enclosed in their own provinces. Uh, so those leagues might actually get to uh, start uh, before the WHL does. More on that uh, with my final guest today, and I'll tell you who that is in a moment. The only other news item that I wanted to pass on was uh, St. Thomas University has been uh, approved to move from Division 3 up to Division 1 for uh, all of their sports, and that includes hockey. So another Division 1 team joining uh, NCAA hockey. Uh, that will be for the 2021-22 season, so it, uh, not this coming year, but the year after. Uh, that joins, uh, they join uh, the Long Island University Sharks, who are still uh, planning to uh, play this year, assuming there is a year, this coming season. So the NCAA has added two teams here during the pandemic, and neither one were the, the front runners. You know, it's not Navy, it's not Illinois, it's not Syracuse. So who knows, uh, a couple of those uh, programs, uh, Illinois and uh, Navy, it sounded like they were ready to announce before the pandemic hit. Uh, so maybe once things clear up, We'll see two or three more teams uh, joining Division One. That'd be great. More the merrier. For those who, like me, had never heard of St. Thomas University and you don't know where it is, it's in Minnesota. I think it's right actually in uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis. So the Golden Gophers have a, uh, a school right in their backyard they can be rivals with. Uh, to start with, they only have a, a building that holds a 1,000 people. So they'll be upgrading their building in the not-too-distant future. Uh, that's it for the news and notes items that I have. Notice Pro Stock Hockey has uh, goalie gear from the Washington Capitals uh, in their inventory. Just got it in. Just saw the tweet. So you might want to check out Pro Stock Hockey if you're in the market for uh, some upgrades. That's ProStockHockey.com. And, of course, all my guests uh, that you hear on each episode are brought to you by the Troubled Monk Hotline. The tap room is now open in Red Deer. You can get uh, same-day free delivery if you spend 50 bucks and you order by 1 o'clock. That's limited to Alberta. Check out TroubledMonk.com to place your order and see all the different varieties of beverages that they have available to choose from. And it's not just beer. They've got uh, the Epitaph Gym and the Adequate Vodka, the Troubled Tea, and a variety of uh, soda as well. It's practically one-stop shopping. It's craft beer worth sharing. Uh, check out troubledmonk.com. All right, the three guests that you're going to hear from uh, today, we are going to start it off with the scout from hockeyprospect.com. We have uh, the uh, official date now for the NHL draft. It's October 9th and 10th. I think last week I said October 6th. I was reading that off a tweet, but it uh, didn't make sense because I, I believe that's like a Tuesday or something. So uh, the draft always goes Friday, Saturday. Uh, that's scheduled now for October 9th and 10th. No idea if it's going to be... I'm I'm guessing it's probably a, a Zoom thing or, you know, it won't be a big a attendance spectacle uh, like in past years, which, you know, if that is the case, sucks for those players. They don't have that uh, that memory to build from and build off of and, you know, the going on stage and putting on the hat and pulling over the jersey and all that type of stuff. Uh, so if that doesn't happen, you feel bad for those guys. But without the ceremony, it's still a draft. And uh, some of the uh, players that you need to know, well, they come from Russia, and we don't have uh, uh, the opportunity to talk a lot about the Russians or have them on the show. The language barrier prevents that uh, most often. Uh, but Michael Farkas from HockeyProspect.com is going to join us this week and share his thoughts on a lot of the Russians and really good in-depth uh, conversation with uh, with Michael. So we'll lead the show off with that. 
Then we're going to hear from a former Ontario Hockey League goaltender. He played for three teams, the Windsor Spitfires, the Kitchener Rangers, and the Barry Colts. His name is Jordan DeCourt, a new initiative uh, set up by the Kitchener Rangers, who's been a team that's been in the news in a bad way here in the last month or so. Uh, mentioned Eric Guest, a former player, uh, talking about some hazing incidents uh, that he had to deal with as a player. Didn't really feel comfortable going to talk to anybody about it. Well, this new initiative set up by the Rangers might be something that all teams start doing and probably would be a good idea. It's an alumni mentorship program. Basically what it is, Jordan DeCourt, who is a former Ranger, as well as Ben Finelli, another former Ranger. In fact, he was a captain of the team. They're three or four years now removed from playing in the league. But they're going to be a resource, an outlet where current players can go to and discuss things uh, without fear of repercussion. And so Jordan is going to tell us more about that, why it was important for him. Would he have used something like that when he was a player? As he had some struggles both on and off the ice. So that'll be our uh, middle guest segment. And we'll end things off today, an extended conversation with uh, Les Lazarek, the uh, longtime voice of the Saskatoon Blades. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, we start out, it's kind of a generic thing to start out with. Uh, but when we uh, shift gears and get into his career... Uh, man, some absolute beauty stories uh, from Les Lazarek. One of the best guys in the entire league. Uh, really fun interview uh, that you're going to like a lot. So uh, let's waste no more time and uh, get to the show. Uh, when we come back, let's get to know some of the Russians. Michael Farkas from HockeyProspect.com. He's our guide next here on the Pipeline Show. My name is Klim Kostin from Team Russia. Trying to drop it back. That was Klim Kostin. Read the play and intercepted for Russia. Pavel Konikov, shots off the skate, goes to Kostin, Russia scores. It bounced right to Klim Kostin, and it's time. This is the Pipeline Show. Hi, I'm Sarah from Arcan Trailer and RV. We know many lives have been altered and plans have changed, but something that hasn't changed is everyone's desire to make new memories with their families. Arcan wants to help you go camping this summer and we'd like to make your payments for you. This isn't a deferral. We'll make your payments all summer long. Or if you currently have an RV but need a new one, trade it in and we'll make your payments too. It's on us. Visit ArcanRV.com for details and start planning your best trip ever. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, if you don't like it, go to Russia. We're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we're going to get set for the 2020 entry draft, uh, which now we know there's the dates for, uh, set for October 9th and 10th. Uh, but we don't know all the players just yet. We've had a bunch of them on over the course of this season. Uh, but we haven't talked to a whole lot of Russians and uh, or about the Russians that are available, so... Uh, to do that, we're going to uh, rely on our friends at HockeyProspect.com who come on the show throughout the season. And uh, today I get a chance to speak with Michael Farkas about some of those Russians. Uh, Michael, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing well, Guy. How about yourself? Uh, good to uh, finally get a chance to chat with you. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you told me you're in Philadelphia? Yeah, based on the East Coast, so maybe a little bit unlikely to be talking about Russians, but... Uh... Like Mark Edwards says, we, we do a lot of uh, the Russians via via video, and then we get out to international tournaments. We get to see them live there, so right. I feel feel pretty confident here. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's get right to it. And I guess if we're going to talk about the uh, the the higher ranked Russians, and interestingly for the Black Book and Hockey Prospect dot com, uh, where you separate the goalies from the players. So if I was to say who's the top Russian available this year, I guess it comes down to two. We get two guys really. But in your mind, who would that, would that be? I think the top Russian available is the goaltender Yaroslav Askarov. Okay, well, let's start there and uh, tell me why not only is he the top goalie, but the top Russian uh, in available for the draft this year. So it's it's one of those things where it's, uh, you get a little bit uh, hesitant on goaltenders, right, about the bugaboo for scouts over the years of trying to find it. You don't want to go too early. Askarov has been has blown me away since, since he was 16 years old. He's been unbelievable. This is – and you don't want to oversell it because – you know, a lot of people were upset about his under 20 performance and him not playing a lot for the pro leagues down the stretch. But this is the, he's still the youngest player to be playing in these Russian pro leagues, the VHL, the KHL. He made the under 20 world juniors and to be fair, he got the hook in it. But this is also, we're talking about a team that's predominantly 19 year olds and he's already making it there. So the fact that he's even in here, um, really speaks to his, to how good he is. And when you talk about a scar off, I think one of the biggest things is just how he moves at his size and at his age is really unreal. It's seamless and smooth. And, and it's one thing for, for a goaltender to, to be able to get a good push, right? Every, every goalie now can get a good push across, but how he's able to move, get anchored, then combo into another move at his age level and experience is really something for me. I know last year when we were talking about the uh, about uh, Spencer Knight in net, uh, there was so much talk about how he was the best goaltending prospect for a number of years, and yet already people were looking ahead to this year uh, for Askarov. Uh, what is the big difference between him and other goaltenders his age? What just makes him so exceptional? Well, he again going back to the movement thing, and then also he combines it with reflexes too. He has he's able to make saves just outside of his body real well without. Uh, losing a lot going through his body. So he's got the great reflexes. He reads the game really well. That movement, that size, I really like him. If you're looking for a negative, I, I guess you could kind of pretty easily point to his glove hand. And that's not uncommon with a lot of Eastern European goalies that are coming up, I feel like. Um, but we wouldn't be recommending a goaltender here as an A player if he had a bad glove. It's more like, it kind of reminds me of a young uh, Semyon Barlamov where his glove's really quick, but he doesn't tr- really know where to put it yet. He doesn't know how to hold it quite yet, and he's trying to settle into where that is. The glove is good. He uses it correctly, but it kind of comes also, uh, comes across a little bit awkward, and, and that's not unfair, but when he's using it, it's it's really, really strong. There's a lot to like here. Is he a puck-handling goaltender, or you're not expecting him to go uh, you know, uh, free-range uh, skating in his own zone to, to clear the puck up? Is he a guy who stays in his net, or does he like to handle the puck? You know, it's funny you mention that, Guy, because uh, when I was going through, one of, one of the things that I like about goaltenders now that I think is a lost art is who's good with their stick. Yeah. Not only what you're talking about is guys coming out and playing it, but also how they manage their crease in the passing lanes. Askarov, I don't think he's a um, a superb puck player, but he's aggressive in going out. He sets things up. He's, he's not going to launch any Marty Brodeur sauce passes for breakaways anytime soon, but he's efficient in what he does. He's smart about it. And I really like how he uses his stick in the crease. He defends passing lanes. He takes care of some ice that his defensemen don't have to. All right. Excellent. Now, I know you guys separate the, the, the goalies from the skaters. 
just in your mind, where do you see him going in the draft? Is he like a top 10, top 15, top 20? I think he's right there in that 10 area for me. And if you're looking at guys that some scouts will say have some stoppers like Byfield or Perfetti or one of the Swedes that, you know, some people feel a little bit strongly one way or the other about, if you get the right combination there, I don't think it's crazy, and Brad Allen, our, one of our other scouts here, will agree with me. I don't think it's crazy to think that he belongs in the five, six, seven area either, but I think he's going to probably fall around 10 ish. All right, perfect. All right, let's go to that forward that was in the mix, and uh, I'm going to be butchering all of these names, so you're going to have to just grin and bear it and, and correct me. Uh, but Rodion Amarov, or Amarov, uh, how do you pronounce it? I say Amirov, but I'm also in the butchering category with you, so we'll just we'll we'll, we'll pick one at, at the end here. Okay. Um. So with Amirov, uh, you're you're talking about a guy that uh has like a ton of skill, right? So other, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about him. But his his finishing ability, even from mid range, really strikes me as something that's that's really strong for him. He's very slippery, um, and he's not really a burner speed wise. He gets around the ice really well. Um, but he's really good on his edges and really de- deceiving, very deceptive in, in neutral ice and in the high offensive zone. So I, I really think there's a lot there. Really split his time this year between the KHL and the junior team. And I, I mean, at the KHL, almost no production. But again, we're talking about a kid playing with men. With the junior team, he's well over a, a point per game player. How do you balance that, though, when you're trying to figure out what he's going to be at the next level? So it's a great question, Guy. So as you noted, he played all over the place this year, not only internationally, but also KHL and then the junior club. He played under 10 minutes a game in the KHL, so you have to take that for what it's worth. Right. Uh, you want to just look at, you know, what kind of positives is he bringing? Is he is he pushing? Because you're going to be on a lower line there. That's, that's one of the best leagues in the world. It's going to be on a lower line. But is he pushing possession the right way? Is he doing the right things at the right time? And, and the answer was that he was. Uh, in junior, and this is where, to be quite honest, I had some disagreement with, with some other scouts, uh, on our, on our team here about how he plays the game. I, I'd like it if he played with a little bit more urgency. I think there's a little bit of a pacing issue with him, if I may. So some guys can overplay the game. I think a good example that would be familiar to a lot of your listeners would be a young Nikolai Ehlers in Winnipeg. He was just going too fast for his own good all the time. He kind of overplayed it. But now more mature Ehlers now has this gear shift to him, slow down, draw him in, change the gap, speed up, zip through it. Amirov is kind of kind of always stuck in low gear for me. Um, and I think that kind of goes through to there's a follow-through to him that I don't really care for. I want him to follow his shots to the net. I want him to, when you have a stack zone entry, I want him to make space for his guy. Even when he back checks, I want him to finish that play more. Make a stronger play on the puck carrier uh, instead of just covering the ice. There's a difference between managing the ice, being in position, and covering someone. I'd like to see him actually be engaged a little bit more defensively uh, than he's shown. There's a lot there. I just like to take a bigger bite uh, you know, in every game for him. Michael Farkas, my guest, he's from HockeyProspect.com, telling me all about the Russians uh, that we need to know for the 2020 NHL draft. Uh, let's go to a forward who played uh, for the junior team in St. Petersburg, uh, Merit Kuznidinov. Sure, well, that, that might be close. Uh, he had 38 points in 44 games this year. Most of those were assists, uh, but that production is still pretty impressive. It absolutely is. So with who's Nadinov, oh, uh, you're talking about a, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I had to practice in the mirror before coming on. It's, um, 
it, it's really it's really interesting this player and, and he's been on the radar all year. Like you mentioned, he, he plays for just an all star club, right? They they were a juggernaut. They lost five games in regulation all year out of sixty four. And if I'm not mistaken, in one of them, they lost it in the last minute because they threw a puck into their own net on a delayed penalty with a minute left of a tie game. So really, just impossible to touch this team. And as a result, he, he kind of played a little bit middle six minutes. As you noted, not quite a point-per-game player down there, if, if I remember correctly. But the first thing you talk about with Husandinov is, is the energy and the enthusiasm that he puts into the game. I really love how he plays with pace, really works with his terrific skating. I really like that. Not a big kid, not terribly strong. But one thing that I like about him is he has this what I call sudden puck protection even in space. So as soon as he picks it up, he immediately starts to shield it away from others without losing his skating stride. He disconnects the top half of his body from the from uh, from the bottom, really makes him tough to pin down in traffic. He has such a good feel for the game, and I really like the timing of everything he does. Uh, in terms of talent, though, um, I think he had a little bit of trouble completing moves, and by, and by that I mean um, kind of just getting through these one-on-one situations and maintaining full possession and being able to do something with it after. I think his hands in space are better, hands in space to make space, than they are taken on players one-on-one. But he's still useful in the cycle. He's really good at getting pucks back. Uh, Like you noticed um, in there, more assists than goals. I don't think he's a real goal-scoring threat, but uh, he competes. He plays it two ways. Uh, Ultimately, down the road, I think that's a useful middle six player more than he is a top-line drive uh, line driver. And that's why we're probably talking about a second, maybe even third-round guy here for uh, Kuznadinov. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, he's not all that big either. What is he, 5'9", 5'10"? Yeah, just about. Yeah, we, we have him as a B player. He's 39 on our list, so you're probably talking in that second, maybe maybe third-round area, potentially, on, on depending on how things shake out. Yeah, I just don't see a top-line threat that will get uh, going down line. Good foundation, though. All right, let's go to a defenseman this time in uh, Shakir Amakmadoulin. Uh I'm going to say I got that right, or close to it. Um, 27 points this year playing in the KHL, so uh, that's a, a bonus for him. That Here's a guy that's, uh, as a defenseman, playing against uh, men professionally there. So, yeah, so he, he spent a majority of his time, like you said, 27 games up there in the KHL. Um, and then went down to junior, uh, with 10 points in, in 13 games, uh, when he played in junior plus 13 in those 13 games too. The tough thing about Mugamadulin is that he averaged just, just a hair over three minutes a game on the year and he topped out at seven. I think 728 was as high, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of ice time. So oh my God. that, that kind of takes a bite. No kidding. That's how do you assess a guy when he's playing three or four minutes a night? It's it's really difficult. So you have to. It's a Where's Waldo game when you're watching these KHL games to try to find them. There there are several games. I think maybe eight, ten, a dozen where he dressed and didn't take a shift. Hmm. It's a real tough spot for a player to develop. And you know a lot of the skill stuff develops in practice sometimes, but you got to get into the games. When he played in junior, he's talking about eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one minutes, and that's fine. For me, he he slid down as the year went on, and and part of it, you know, maybe you look at the, how much time he was used in the KHL, but I, I don't think there's a huge offensive ceiling here. I think that slid for me. I think his skating and and the smoothness of that improved. He's a six foot three, maybe six foot four defenseman, so you like that. Mm-hmm. But he's not very flashy. I saw a couple one, one and a half line, maybe two line carries when he was in junior. I'm a nut for, for guys that can carry it across multiple lines if you're a defenseman. And I, I just, I don't know that I see that as NHL upside, but he was able to do it 
in junior. And then defensively, again, not really a lot of thrills. I thought he maintained good gaps. I think he matches speed to absorb rushes pretty well. Um, he didn't get discombobulated by odd man rushes and he doesn't chase the play around, but he's not, he's not really a hitter. He's not a guy that just really jumps off the page for you. And in international competition, he kind of got stuck babysitting some guys and, and even that kind of held them back a little bit. So it, it, it's real challenging to, to deal with Muka Madulin in terms of, um, just what kind of upside does he really possess? I think he's probably just a mid round player for me okay. if I had to pin it. All right, well, let's go to uh, Vasily Ponomarayev, uh, who played for Shawinigan in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, so a guy who has been in North America now for a little bit, uh, and uh, not quite a point-per-game player, uh, but from what you saw from uh, Ponomarayev, uh, what what uh, impression did he uh, leave with you? Yeah, so he's interesting because the, the QMJHL is a little bit outside of my jurisdiction, but I did see him play there, and I saw him play a lot internationally, and I mean... Uh, Good two-way playmaking center. I think he's got some plus hands. Um, little, little bit questionable in the skating for me. I think just an average, average skater without a lot of pop to his stride. There's a lot of wind up without a lot of, you know, a lot of efficiency to it. So that's gonna, that's gonna be probably, uh, something that's gonna slow him down a little bit. But I, I like, uh, I, I just, I like the way that he plays the game, um, in terms of just, he kind of has this pop gun offense to him in terms of his playmaking ability. That said, I think he's a, a bit of a disappointment. So I saw him internationally more earlier in the season. I talked to our other, our other, or our Q scout here in Jerome Barubi, and he said he's a big disappointment for me this year. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I went back and watched some Q, Q games with him, and I, I'm I'm looking and I'm like, yeah, I, I would have expected him to be more impactful. And so I looked at his stat line actually just before coming on here, and I'm like, this had to have still been a 70, 75, 80 point player in the Q. Like you, like you mentioned in the top, he wasn't. And that's really surprising to me for his skill level. He couldn't do more with it. So it, it's, it's really tough. And he's a guy that really slid down the line for us as the year went on. He fell out of the top 80, in fact, for us. For a guy like that and for the previous player, uh, Mukamudulian, are the international events like the Holinka Gretzky Cup and maybe the World Junior A Challenge, they were both part of the Russian team at those events. Do those, you know, I mean, they're small sample sizes, but just getting a look at them playing against their peers and especially for the Russian defenseman there that uh, doesn't get any ice time uh, playing in the KHL. Do those small events become that much more important than they would be for a, a different player? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. It's one that, you know, that'll go on for, for decades among scouts about, you know, wh- how much do you value? I think the key is just take everything in stride and, and apply context to it. There's, there's guys that, when we have our meetings uh, internally here where we go, yeah, internationally he did this and this, but you watch him in league play and it's this and this and this. Like I thought who's Nadinov was very, uh, he was perky and fun during the international competitions, but in league play, I was like, ah, I mean, this is a player that doesn't necessarily stick out. So for Panamaraya, it was, a uh, it was kind of a wake up call for me where I, I thought internationally, I was kind of pumping his tires a little bit in our meetings and, and, you know, Jerome and, and Mark came down and said, nah, listen, it's, it's really not necessarily like that. Go check it out. So and I did. So you, you put all that together and you look at it. And at the end of the day, I'm a little bit higher probably on Panamaraya than the rest of our group is, but not not enough to to, you know, stand on the table for him. All right. You're not going out of your way to get him. All right. Uh, another guy that I had on my list of uh, players to, to ask you about is uh, Dmitry Roshevsky 
Played in, uh, again, the Junior League in, for St. Petersburg. Second leading scorer in that league. Uh, but he is almost 20. He turns 20 in October. So how much do we take of that? And, and that's got to factor in somewhere. But, again, the, the offensive production is there. So what kind of impression does he give you? So soapbox time for me, if I may, Guy. I'm perfectly fine if you have a 19 or a 20-year-old player that can play as opposed to drafting an 18-year-old that can't. I don't really worry so much about that. It's a factor for sure. You get a little less rope to, to deal with. But if you're a 2001, a late 2000 like Rashevsky is, I don't mind at all because this guy's just throwing pucks into the net all day. Five points in 24 games the previous year, 44 goals, 74 points this year. Yeah. I mean, something flipped the switch there. But this is a, this is a draft that is, and I'll use, I'll use Brad Allen's quote. I think it made the book. This is a draft full of shooters. And this guy has one of the best shots in the draft. That's what we're talking about. So it's, it's might maybe not be Jacob Perot level, but it's probably just a tier behind that. It's way up there. It's incredible what he can do with his shot. Despite not having really a deep knee bend to his skating, he's a, he's a little bit stiff in his posture, but he just throws pucks into the net from, from any old place. And then he's got some real nice hands on him, dynamic plays. He's pretty slippery in space, despite a little bit, of, like I said, a little bit of an awkward skating stride. Not really strong um, to a man, but he he's dynamic and he can. I mean, he's stick handling between raindrops out there. And I, I think the production—not that you want to do stat line scouting and under any means—but the production says it all. I mean, he he was one of the top players in the in the junior league this year. He's going to move up to the VHL, uh, Russia's second tier league, next year. And we'll see where it goes from there. That'll be, that's the last year of his current contract. So, mm. you know, there, there might be an opportunity for, for a club to bring him over to the AHL or NHL maybe after that if, if someone so chooses to take him. All right. Michael Farkas, uh, you had a, a, a trio of players that you wanted to, uh, talk about as kind of, uh, favorites of your own personal favorites. Um, tell me about these guys. Where do you, who, who, which guy do you want to start with? Uh, I, I, let's start with, uh, someone that's on, on Central's list and Maxim Beryoshkin. Uh, so for Buryoshkin, we're talking about uh, a player that I really came to enjoy early on. Uh, really smart, 6'2", 205 pounds. Uh, he plays the game two ways and and uh, just really complete player. And I, I think that he's going to be a, a, a real find for, for someone that does the due diligence on him. Um, his ability, I really liked, uh, there was a sequence in one of the games where it just stuck out to me where I, I started really going for him is he was on the penalty kill and he was F1 on it. And there was two or three times in a row where he just sniffed out the entire power play breakout and just stuffed it down alone, hmm. just as the, as the high man before it even got outside, uh, his own blue line. So from right from there, I was like, let's, let's track this player because he's really something for me. All right, so there's a, here's a guy that's not just a point per game player, but is also you know used uh, on the on the penalty kill. So pretty versatile. He's 18, turns 19 in October, but again size six two, uh, over 200 pounds now. So it seems at least on paper a lot to like there too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think I think he just checks off a lot of boxes at the end of the day, and and I really I just there's a maturity to his game that I think. Uh, should really, you know, I think it should make him a, a much higher draft pick than I think maybe he's going to get credit for. All right, uh, let's go to Ivan uh, Kazakov, who plays for a team, I love this uh, team name, Capitan Stepino. 
Uh, I've never heard of the team before, but it's in the, the, the Russian Junior League. It sounds like it should be a, an Italian team or something like that or, or <laughs> something. But uh, tell me about uh, Kazuko. So, yeah, so that is also – it's always been one of my favorite names for a while. So I he, he improved a lot uh, from last season. He's one of those guys that it really just takes off the board. And, and what's interesting about him is he's – with all due respect to any of his teammates that might listen to your show, a little bit alone there on that team. Uh, so it's, it's him versus the world a lot of nights. That team lost, I think they lost over 40 games out of 64, uh, this year. So it was a little bit tough, but the thing that my favorite thing about Kazakov is just his speed and quickness combination. He's just, he's so fast. He wins every race to every puck. He's one of the faster players and, and I can't, I'm not going to be one of those guys that says, uh, let's speak globally about everything. But in, in the areas that I know, which is the U S and Russia, this is one of the faster players I've seen in either of those territories. I think he's really threatening in that way. I'm not a hundred percent sold on his skill level being able to, to make it work at speed. I think his skill is probably just in the good area. I don't think he's a world beater, but. I just I love the ability uh, that that he shows to just get off some shots from the interior, really push defensemen back, slow it up, bring it back. Um, and he's he's a little bit he's actually a little bit more pass first than it might uh, than the stat line might give off. But he's on a team that if he passes it, he's probably not going to get it back. So that makes it a little bit tough for him. Uh, more of a uh, late round pick if uh, if a draft at all, though seventh round kind of guy. Yeah, I think he's a guy that you start to consider when, you know, when an NHL team has, uh, has a guy where they just, they give, uh, an area scout one of the picks, um, like Detroit did in, for years in, in Sweden, where it's just like, okay, fifth round pick is yours. Well, this is one of those guys where if you're handing it off to an area guy, it might be one of those guys that, that you get. It also wouldn't surprise me if he, if he didn't get picked at all because of just how underscouted Russia might have been because of the lack of, uh, exposure to him. Okay, last guy to talk about is uh, Ruslan Novrozov, who just turned 20, uh, just uh, what last week, I guess. Uh, so he's 20 years old now, but played junior, and and uh, is a guy you wanted to talk about. Tell me why. This is one of my favorite players, and this is one of my favorite things about going through Russia. Is this is just a guy that doesn't have a lot of exposure, and I'm a nut for these guys. And, and Mark's gonna hate me for saying this, but I'm a nut for the guys that are dragging these these bad teams along. Uh, and this is what Navrusov does. He, he accounted for 30% of his team's goals on the season. He was just, he was just out there just doing it by himself. And like you mentioned, you know, he's a, he's a 2000 birthday, but, um, he's very talented. Big time finishing ability. He's got, he's got finishing moves in close. Um, he, he plays, he plays the game with some intensity. Uh, the, the one thing you want to say, um, he does show some frustration on the rank. He's, he's been a part of a lot of tough teams, uh, where, you know, it starts to, to wear on him a little bit. There's plays that I see him, that I see him make, or there's instances that I see his teammates make and he goes, you can see his throws his head back and he's a little upset. Um, and, and he's, he, he is a knock need skater. Um, so that's a stopper for a lot of scouts and, and that's fair too, but he, he has enough strength to push through it. And, uh, for me at least, and, uh, I think he's, he's just has a lot of offensive skill and, and too much to ignore. He's a game breaker at this level. And, uh, he actually pushed, uh, that SKA 1946 team, uh, just about to the brink, um, as a number eight seed. So, uh, and he was their captain as a second year player. Really, really have a lot of time for him despite, um, you know, the knock need skating situation. 
All right. Well, there's uh, a lot of information on uh, a number of players, all of them Russians uh, eligible for the 2020 draft. Uh, pick up the black book. Is there a write-up on all of these guys, or were some of those uh, your personal favorites at the end maybe not included in the book this year? Some of my personal favorites uh, don't get included, but we'll have some we'll have some uh, secondary piece that goes along with it, uh, right. just to make sure that that these guys get a look. All right. Well, the black book is available now. Check out hockeyprospect.com on how to get it. Uh, and Michael, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for this. It was great. Gee, thanks for this. I appreciate it. Terrific job by Michael Farkas. Uh, first time he's been on the show. Uh, certainly won't be the last time. Uh, great insight and uh, very well spoken. Uh, thanks for your time. Michael, and of course, uh, I mentioned at the end, but the Black Book's been available for a few weeks now. If you haven't got your copy yet, uh, check out the uh, website, HockeyProspect.com. I believe it's available through Amazon as well. Uh, always uh, very well worth your time if you're a, a draft junkie or a prospect junkie. It's, uh, it's great to have the uh, hard copy uh, as well. Actually, I keep all the, I get the PDF version, and I keep those year after year. But uh, some people like to hold the book in their hands and put it on their shelf. Whichever version you prefer, they're both available now. The draft, uh, I guess, what, about two and a half months away now? So, I mean, it's already uh, a month late. be nice to get it done and uh, put it behind everybody. I'm sure the players are uh, impatiently waiting for the day to come for them as well so they can move on. Speaking of moving on, the show does as well. Uh, up next, we're going to have a conversation with uh, Jordan DeCourt, former goaltender in the Ontario Hockey League, played for three clubs in Windsor, and Kitchener, and uh, Barry as well, then used his CHL scholarship package, uh, now has come back and is going to uh, get involved with the league in a different way, as there's a new mentorship program uh, set up by the Kitchener Rangers. He and Ben Finelli are going to be uh, leading the way, but what exactly is it? Well, let's find out. Jordan DeCourt joins me next here on the Pipeline Show. He wants this hat trick, and he's just going right to the net. Scores! There it is! He wanted it! He got it! <laughs> Give him five points! Hey, it's Gabriel Valerdi of the Windsor Spitfires, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week is the one that started it all. Tell us more about this classic, bud. Golden Gates Golden Ale. An easy-drinking golden ale that you can use as your gateway to craft beer. This beer highlights the best malt in the world, grown right here in our backyard. Player comparable, Nathan McKinnon. Underrated, yet awesome, every time out. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk craft beverages worth sharing you're listening to the pipeline show with gee flaming and boom goes the dynamite we're back on the pipeline show we'll continue this week's episode sometimes what we like to do on the program is catch up with a, a player who uh, spent some time in the chl and is uh, now moved on with his life, and uh, we'll go back and revisit what his career was like, what his experience was like in the league, maybe if he used his scholarship package, what he did with that. Uh, and uh, today we're going to catch up with a, a player who uh, spent time with three different uh, teams in the Ontario Hockey League, uh, with the Windsor Spitfires, the Kitchener Rangers, and the Barry Colts. 
A pleasure to be joined by a former CHL goaltender, Jordan DeCourt. Uh, Jordan, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you today? I'm great, great. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate you making the time today. I know uh, things have been uh, a little bit busier for you here as of late. Some news uh, breaking this week. Uh, a new program started with the Kitchener Rangers, which we'll we'll get to. But uh, maybe just uh, for everybody, I mean, these days are pretty weird for everybody. Uh, what's it like, uh, uh, life like where you are uh, dealing with the pandemic and all that? Oh, it's pretty crazy, right? I mean, sometimes I kind of sit back and, and think that it's it's insane that we're all honestly all going through this, right? It's kind of hard to believe. But, you know, just social distancing, trying to stay as home as much as possible, and trying to find a way to kind of be a little bit productive through it all. You know, it's hard enough to kind of get by, get through every day. But if we can add a little bit of productivity to it, try to create some stuff, um, that always kind of helps me going and gets me uh, gets me excited for the next day, even though everything is a little bit monotonous kind of right now. All right, well, let's talk about what is uh, news right now, and that's uh, yourself uh, as well as uh, Ben Finelli uh, getting uh, teamed up, teaming up uh, with the Kitchener Rangers. Tell us about the alumni program, what the, what that's all about. Oh, yeah, so me, me and Finelli, we played together in Kitchener for a season. He was the captain, and I was 18. And we got along really well. And uh, so the Rangers recently approached us and said that they wanted to make an alumni, uh, some sort of alumni program. And we decided on an alumni mentorship program. So basically how it works is um, me and Ben are around the team throughout the season, um, giving a couple presentations, one at the beginning, one at the middle, one at the end. Uh, and the idea is that uh, if we're another resource for the players to have, you know, um, although a lot of organizations, uh, say they have open doors to the coach, the GM, and that they're all willing to listen. It can be really intimidating for, let's say, a 16-year-old kid who just moved away um, and now has um, some sort something they're dealing with, whether that be um, mental health related or or kind of anything. They don't want to show weakness to uh, somebody who has so much power. So mm-hmm. we're that kind of uh, we're the people who they can speak to, and there's no judgment. Um, we're not going to go and tell um, the coach exactly what they said. You know, we're just there to listen and help and guide based off of our own experience, so our experiences. So that's our our kind of idea with the program. Um, but it is just at the start right now. So we're still trying to fine tune it, figure out. And I'm sure over the course of the year, we'll figure out what really works, what doesn't work um, and where we need to improve as well. So I know we're both super excited for it and really uh happy that the Rangers are giving us this opportunity. For now, is it just the Rangers? Will, do you think all teams will start to do these sorts of things, or do you do you personally and you and Ben want to branch out and help other OHL teams as well? Well, I think I think it's a really great program. I think we're going to learn a ton the first year on what really works, right? I mean, right. Um, the idea is to have two people who are um, removed from the game enough to have to be able to kind of reflect on their own experiences and have that kind of um, I guess wisdom uh, about things that they went through, but you don't want somebody who's too old that's hard to connect with the players. So hopefully that we are kind of right in the sweet spot of, of the age where we're still not too far removed from hockey, where um, we're still seen as somebody who they can relate to. So, right. but yeah, as speaking to um, other teams, I think it's a, it's a really great idea. I mean, it's something that, um, I know it's it's always tough to engage alumni in the CHL um, because the players come and go so quick, and there's there's very few players, if you're not star-
stars. Uh, and if you don't win a championship that fans remember, right? I mean, um, everyone remembers Ben because he was the captain and he was there for five years and that was something like that. But a lot of the fans of Kitchener don't necessarily remember me. So it's, it's really awesome that they're kind of found a way to engage alumni. I think the idea is to create kind of a pipeline of um, uh, players now who eventually when they um, use their education package or go play pro for a few years and they're kind of back and figuring out what they want to do is that we can engage them to be like, hey, um, like become a mentor, uh, become an alumni and come help out some of the younger guys. That's kind of the idea behind it all. So one aspect of it would be, you know, what you mentioned a 16-year-old kid that maybe is struggling to, to fit in with the team, might have some uh, uh-huh. some mental or emotional problems that you're an outlet that he can go to. But it's also not just that, but maybe a guy who doesn't know much about youth sports and, and what the scholarship program is all about and might need some guidance. And, and again, both of you guys have that experience too, right? Where you, you've, did you use your scholarship package at all? So I did use my scholarship package. I finished my degree last year, but I didn't play any hockey at university. Right. Okay. But I mean, so that's another aspect of what the mentorship program is about, where you can explain that sort of avenue to players too. Yeah, absolutely. And just, it's, it's honestly just like, uh, being able to have somebody who, um, was on the same trajectory and had the same goals and hopes and dreams. And um, obviously when you go to the CHL, your goal is to all play in the N- is to play in the NHL, but sure. it's not a reality for, for most players, right? It's so hard to get there. So I think it's great having two people who um, didn't necessarily meet their ultimate goal of playing that, but really still kind of found a passion along the way. And they, we both used our education package and I think both got a lot out of it. So I think it's good to have kind of those voices as people who um, a lot of players will be able to relate to. Jordan DeCourt, my guest, a former uh, CHL goaltender with the uh, Windsor Spitfires, the Kitchener Rangers, and the Barry Colts. Now, you were a second-round pick uh, in the OHL uh, priority selection. So, I mean, there were some expectations uh, beyond the OHL for you as well. And you kind of alluded to that where that's something that uh, some players could have a tough time coming to grips with the reality that maybe there isn't going to be a, you know, a big future at the professional level was, you know, take me back to when you were a player. Was that something that was tough for you to get your head around? Yeah, I think it really was. I think it all happens so quickly when you're drafted, right? So you play your your last year of minor hockey. And then um, within a matter of, I think when I, when I was picked, I think the selection was like May 7th or something like that. So so May 7th happens, you're picked. Um, and then within like three months, you're moved and living in a whole new city. For me, it was four hours away. For for other kids, it's even farther away, especially out west and in the Quebec League. Mm-hmm. And they also deal with the language barriers too, which I couldn't even imagine how difficult that would be. Um, but yeah, so everything happens so quick. And then all of a sudden you you string together a couple bad games and it turns into a bad half a season and then you're not playing too much. And then how do you turn it around? And it just kind of all, it happens so quickly. And I think um, having someone to talk to and having somebody to kind of bend these frustrations to without any kind of um, judgment or reper- repercussion is really important. I think, especially for younger guys, when like a 16 year old is just kind of figuring out the world, they don't really like, I remember I made terrible decisions when I was 16 years old, right? So, so I, I, I can imagine that's still happening to kids. So being able to provide some sort of guidance or even just listening to somebody uh, about the issues they're facing, whether that be at high school, 
uh, within the team, at family, with their family at home. Um, that's something that I think is is really invaluable, and that I think we need to take more time to consider that um, these players are just 16 years old. They're just kids, and they do really need a lot of support in order to succeed. Now, when you were 16 or 17, if there was somebody that had a mentorship program and there were people available for you to talk to, would 16 or 17-year-old Jordan DeCourt have felt comfortable to be able to go to somebody like that? Or would at that age, would you have thought, you know what, they're still part of the organization. It'd be no different than going to talk to the assistant coach or something like that. How do you, you know, how does a 16 or 17-year-old differentiate what you want to do now compared to going to the coach or something? That's a really good question. I think that that's really tough. I don't know if I would have as a 16, 17-year-old kid. Um, so with this program, we really want to try to open up that door as much as possible where um, with my company, Game Changers, I'm involved in social change and cultural change. And Ben has been in his company, Heroic Minds, um, has been all about advocating for things like that. So I think that we can develop trust with the players through kind of with the work that we're doing, where uh, we've proven that we um, have this passion and are committed to these kind of this kind of change and this kind of support. So I think that that's kind of where we're coming from, but yeah, it's definitely going to be a challenge, you know? Um, But I think that it's something that's important. I think if you have to try it out and see if it works, right? Yeah. No, no no question about that. Uh, Jordan DeCourt, my guest, here on the Pipeline Show, uh, talking about uh, the new uh, alumni mentorship program uh, with the Kitchener Raiders. You mentioned Game Changers, and that's something else that you started, what, last summer? Tell me a bit about the background uh, of that. Yeah, I started last summer. So um, when I was at university, I went to the University of Windsor. Um, I ran workshops at the university, and after I graduated, I was trying to kind of figure out what I wanted to do, and so I decided to develop uh, a workshop for uh, youth sports teams. So it's about communication, culture, and change. So kind of um, empowering young men and women in sport to become leaders in their community. So it's a grassroots organization that's all about um, helping youth sports become uh, better in handling certain issues and allowing the players to get um, training and more kind of transferable skills. Because right now, yes, Sport is really good for leadership, um, but we don't necessarily teach any leadership skills. The kids kind of just figure them out on their own. Mm. Um, so this kind of teaches the actual tangible skills, problem solving, how to deal with certain situations. So I just found out there, I found there wasn't that many programs for um, youth sports. So I kind of wanted to fill that niche. So what sort of age groups are you talking to or, or players that you're dealing with? And it, is, it, is it all hockey or is it other sports as well? So right now it's it's all hockey, but I'm definitely open to other sports. Um, the the skills and lessons are the same, just the the kind of nuance of it would be a little bit different. But um, so it ranges from ages uh, eight to eighteen, um, but the content is vastly different depending on the age group, right? So uh, as well as the length. So obviously it's a lot shorter if they're younger, uh, and it's a little bit more. Uh, in depth as the groups get older. So that's kind of the idea. Uh, Jordan, when I, I was reading a story and doing some background uh, to get prepared for this interview, I see that your time in the OHL going from, especially between Windsor and Kitchener, there was some off-ice uh, stuff you had to deal with as well. Just for the benefit of the listeners yeah. who might not know that that story, can you 
kind of summarize what happened and, and how you dealt with it? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was uh, 17, uh, my roommate, Ben Johnson, was arrested uh, and then convicted and charged with sexual assault. Um, so basically that kind of, uh, that was really rough. Um, obviously, it was really hard to deal with. Um, and something that kind of no no 17 year old should have to deal with and there's a lot of follow-up from that and everything um but you know it, it really um it's something that kind of stuck with me for a really long time and i didn't really realize that until my second year of university when i started getting involved in different extracurricular programs at the university um in regards to sexual assault prevention and that's kind of where i really found my stride in university and started delivering workshops. So um, that's an experience that I had in the OHL. Um, I don't think the organization handled it very well. Um, so my hope is that programs like the Alumni Mentorship Program mm -hmm. uh, will kind of start changing the culture and allow organizations to handle issues like that a lot better. I see. And uh, we're seeing uh, recently here, Eric Guest, former Kitchener Ranger uh, himself, had some allegations about what happened at a team party. That's another situation where you with this mentorship program could be an outlet for a player like that. I don't know if the Rangers have actually asked you to get in contact with him or if you guys have reached out to him or anything like that. What's, uh, but that sort of scenario is something you would try to deal with as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the OHL is still doing an investigation about it, so I can't comment on it at the time, but yeah, definitely sure. helping out uh, in situations uh, similar to that is something that the program is definitely about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, when it comes to hazing and things like that, it's something I've talked about on the show the last few years. I don't really understand how hazing works. I've never been in that high level of a sports mm -hmm. environment where that is uh, a present. I actually thought hazing was kind of dying off. I, it, to me, I don't understand the, the mental concept of how you would, you know, the older players on a team would pick on the younger players and feel that that's some sort of team building exercise. I don't understand mm -hmm. it. That does that still go on to the extent that it maybe it did 15, 20 years ago? Um, I think now it's very team specific. So what my theory with hazing is a lot of the times uh, it, it has to do with the leadership and it has to do with the culture. So if you have an organization that has had hazing for a long time, um, at one point down the line, you need an older player to step up and say, okay, we're done with this because a lot of times what happens is uh, old an older group of players will haze a younger group of players, and then at, when the younger group becomes older, they'll say, hey, we had it terrible. Now you younger guys have to get it terrible as well. Right. So it really takes that one person, or whether that be the captain, best player, or leadership group, to step up and say, okay, yes, I had it bad, um, but we're done with this kind of thing. So I think that that's when you get into hazing as a cultural problem. I think there's also hazing... Um, in regards to kind of one-off, more so bullying, uh, when somebody doesn't like a younger player and will just constantly pick on them. I think that they're a little bit different as opposed to uh, one might just be a, a personal conflict where people just don't really get along and there's a power dynamic or power imbalance right. as opposed to a systematic cultural problem where this organization has had it bad since like 2000. You know, it's not a coincidence if one organization has had problems for 20 years. Right. It wasn't just 20 years of bad apples kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wonder when it comes to hazing, uh, and I guess it, it, we have to speak in general terms, but as you mentioned, it might be a team by team and maybe even incident by incident 
case and you can't really paint everything with a uh, or the same brush. But do most of the when hazing happens, is it like at team parties when the coaches and stuff aren't there and involved or does it happen at the rink or can it, you know, on the bus? Does it vary? I think it varies. I think it depends a lot on the team's attitude towards it. I mean, we've seen with the the recent stuff with um, the Dan Carcillo and his lawsuit. I mean, they he's alleged that it's happened everywhere and the coaches knew about it. So I think there's a ton of different ways that it can happen and a ton of variety. But I really think it's important to have str- like strong leadership groups are what are what are really important to kind of stop this and changing the culture yeah uh, as well as have um, have people who are willing to stand up for it so I think that that's something that um, our program is hoping to do is um, kind of if, if something bad is happening if there's an issue they can come talk to us um, uh, and then we're not gonna go and out somebody as the person who told on them it would be all anonymous if we decided that the situation need to be escalated higher. Um, so that's kind of the idea. Excellent. Well, it certainly seems like a worthwhile endeavor that you guys are taking on, uh, and I wish you the, the, the best of luck. When it comes to game changers, if somebody that's hearing this uh, wants more information, how do they get in contact with you? Yes, yeah, so you can visit my website at www.teamgamechange.com uh, or email me at jordan at teamgamechange.com. So, uh, it's a little bit difficult right now. We don't really know what's happening with minor hockey. I think we're all kind of waiting and seeing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm based out of the, the GTA area. So uh, if there's anybody who listens around there and is interested in learning more about the workshop or the kind of value I can add to uh, creating a better environment for your team, I'm absolutely willing to talk. Wonderful. Jordan, I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. There you go. That's Jordan DeCourt, uh, who is uh, going to be part of the alumni mentorship program for the Kitchener Rangers. I, I listen. I don't know how effective it's going to be, but it's a step, right? It's it's you got to be proactive, or maybe in this case reactive. But I'd like to see all the teams do this, and it, maybe it's tougher with you know with NHL teams. The alumni programs are well established. You got a lot of players. Maybe with junior teams, it's a little tougher. But I think it might even be more important, especially when it's designed to do what this one is designed to do to be a a safe place where uh, current players can go and share some thoughts and uh, talk about some struggles they might be having or to get some guidance on what comes next and how to go through their their junior hockey career and uh, make the most of it and uh, then maybe pursue academics afterwards and use their scholarship package or you know maybe weighing the decision do I go play in the ECHL or should I go to U sport Guys like Jordan DeCourt would be able to help uh, guide people like that and give them some advice. So I I don't see the downside to this at all. I'd like to think maybe, you know, we'll talk to Jordan in a couple of years and see how many players have actually come to him and uh, if it's being used. Uh, But I I think the initiative is certainly uh, a a good thing. All right, one more segment to go, and it's a beauty. Uh, Les Lazarek, the longtime voice of the Saskatoon Blades, he's my guest. And over the course of uh, the during this uh, this extended uh, off season, uh, thanks to the uh, global pandemic, we've had a few occasions where we've had a long form interview and to kind of go through a guy's career. Well, we we di- I planned on doing a little bit of that with Les, but I, there were some newsworthy things I wanted to touch on first. We did those, 
and then we started off uh, talking about his career, and man, it just went on from there, and it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed talking to the last. Any, anytime I get to to meet him in person, you know, when the Oil Kings and the and the Blades are having a game or something like that, he's just a great guy and uh, a really good broadcaster too. And uh, I enjoyed uh, this interview a lot. I hope that you do. Let's kick it off next. Here comes Les Lazarus of the Saskatoon Blades. And Doc will get back to it. Doc at his blue line. Comes to center. Ducks around Leeson. In over the line on the wing. Trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front. Shoots and scores! Ah! Oh, let's go! Kirby Doc puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the boos from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Doc. And the Blades have opened the scoring in game two in Prince Albert. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris wow, and Duncan Keith Goal! and future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Back on The Pipeline Show, we're going to end this uh, this week's episode. Uh, well, it's hard to get any better than this. We're going to have an in-the-dub segment uh, brought to you by, of course, dubnetwork.ca. You know, if you can stay up to date on everything that's happening around the Western Hockey League, and let's be honest, it's not a whole lot happening right now as we uh, wait patiently for uh, the 2021 season to uh, eventually start hopefully uh, in uh, early October, but we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, but my guest today uh, also a contributor for uh, Dub Network, but he's been the longtime voice of the Saskatoon Blades. We're pleased to be joined once again by a good friend of the show, Les Lazarek. Uh, Les, how are you, buddy? Gee, it's so good to hear your voice. It, it's good to be talking hockey. It's good to be talking sports uh, in the midst of this pandemic, uh, which we've been through now for four months and. Quite frankly, I'm I'm tired of it, and I'm waiting for things to start happening, and I'm looking forward to being able to watch something other than Netflix on my TV uh, <laughs> coming up here by the end of this month. Yes, I agree with you completely, and uh, hey, there might be NHL hockey here in the very near future, uh, and uh, right in the city, uh, you know, 20 minutes from where I am, although we're not ever, we can't go and watch it, but uh, at least that'll be on TV and uh, take some uh, Take some of the uh, the news uh, away from uh, pandemics and uh, and uh, rioting in the states and all that stuff, and we can have yeah, some enjoyment for a while. For sure. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, maybe from a WHL perspective what the 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 whole COVID nineteen situation is. We know the league has circled October second as uh, you know at least on the calendar the plan uh, to start the season. But I know you've written about it here recently in Dub Network, and uh, we've chatted briefly about it. Uh, your thoughts on uh, when, if and when, we uh, see uh, the next season here for the WHL? Well, first and foremost, I want it to start October 2nd. The, 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 the passionate 
play-by-play guy and hockey fan and Western Hockey League supporter that I am wants the season to start as the league has said it will start or it hopes to start on October 2nd. That means being able to be in training camps, uh, likely around mid-September. They're talking about having, you know, a couple of weeks worth of training camp, maybe each team playing a couple of exhibition games, and then starting on that Friday evening, October 2nd, uh, I know they've got a schedule. There's a 68-game schedule. Uh, it's basically uh, taken the, uh, from what I'm told, it's basically taken the first two weeks that were supposed to have been and taken them off and lopped them onto the bottom end of the schedule that they already have and starting with what was supposed to happen on October 2nd. So you may not get the usual rivalries on October 2nd if uh, you get if we get the start of the season like you want uh, the idea of a Saskatoon Prince Albert opening weekend probably not going to happen right. based on that uh, same thing Regina Moose Jaw or Edmonton and Red Deer those aren't going to happen necessarily like that there are going to be different games being played different matchups on opening weekend assuming you start on October 2nd now that's one thing being said based on what's that. There's lots of contingencies. The league hasn't been sitting idly by twiddling their thumbs, Geek. They've been working away and they've had, been having a lot of uh, Zoom meetings, a lot of phone meetings amongst governors, amongst owners, amongst general managers, amongst uh, management people, uh, people who are involved in the marketing end of, uh, of the various teams. The, the, the meetings are nonstop, it seems, within the Western Hockey League, from what I'm told, and that there are other contingency schedules ready to go maybe even an October 2nd start with teams playing within their divisions Mm. and trying to maintain you know less bus travel uh less uh, expense as far as having to be in hotels that sort of a thing uh avoiding the idea of having to go across borders uh certainly that is a a a situation the south of the line where the states of Washington and Oregon, their situations with COVID-19 are much more dire and drastic than what they are here in, in, in Western Canada. Uh, so you'd like to think that uh, a lot of people are not all that terribly anxious to have American teams cross the border to come into Canada. And certainly you can't right now anyway, with the border being closed again right through till August 21st. Yeah. Uh, there's also talk of schedules maybe not starting until even the beginning of December and having uh, the first couple of months being only played within the division. So there's there's lots of contingencies being thrown around. There's lots of options. It's just a matter of can we get to a point where the novel coronavirus is something that all six jurisdictions are able to have under control, and those jurisdictions allow the arenas to have at least 50% capacity, seating capacity in the various buildings, because as you well know, and we're telling people here on this podcast, uh, on this show, that this league cannot survive without bums in the seats, without people buying tickets and actually going to the games. It's not like the NHL. It's not like the NBA where you can have a hub and play games without uh, fans and have it all televised and you can make a whole bunch of money just because you've got great TV deals and radio deals. Those don't exist in the Western Hockey League. So you need people in the stands. And until such time as the various provincial governments and their health authorities allow it to happen and state governments and, and their health authorities allow it, um, it's it's 
uh, maybe a pipe dream to think that we're going to get started on October 2nd. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that the hurdle of, with, of the border is a major issue because it's not just the yeah. teams going back and forth. It's just the players. To you know, you I think you touched on it in one of your stories with uh, at Dub Network was billet families. I mean, are they bringing in American players right now from you know those parts? You know, you got players coming up from Arizona, and that's one of the hot spots. I think it would be. I wouldn't blame anybody if they were a little bit anxious about that. Uh, those scenarios or, about open up their homes to guys who have been out of the country like that. Or let's look at it the other way, Guy. How many parents of players, 16, 17 year olds, maybe leaving home for the first time, right? And they're big time prospects, and they want to play professional hockey down the line. And here's their ticket, the opportunity to be seen and to show what they've got. And yet they're being told, okay, mom and dad, we're sending little Johnny down to Portland or we're sending them down to Tri-Cities or someplace like that where they really don't have a great handle on COVID-19 right now. Do you want to be sending your kid to those places to play hockey despite the obvious eventual reward for the youngster in that he may end up being a National Hockey League star? But right now, is that a good idea to be sending little Johnny down south of the border to play hockey when the situation there isn't that great. Really got a feel for some of the, the, the high-end players in the league as well that are, you know, their development's going to suffer with a, a long delay like this. I don't know how you get around it. I mean, they're going to practice yeah. as much as they can and work out as much as they can, but we might not really understand how this, this whole pandemic situation has affected uh, the level of play for two or three years to see, you know, if there's a bit of a, a, a lull in talent. Yeah, I know that's that's for sure. It, it, it's so unknown as to what's going to happen. It's it's hard to imagine how players are going to react, how cities are going to react, billets are going to react. It's it's all so tied into basically just everybody buying in and figuring it out that you've got to look after yourself and one another. And the idea that you've got to maintain that six foot distance, you've got to be you know, wearing masks possibly when that six foot distance isn't possible, your hand hygiene. There's a lot of things I think that's going to come out of this that when we finally get back to whatever normal is going to be and we come out of this pandemic, there are some habits that are going to come out of this that I think are going to be worth following on. We just don't lapse back into it. Let's not be silly and just decide, okay, well, we have to do some 20-second hand washing here for a few months. We don't have to do that anymore. No, it's not a bad idea to continue to do. It's not a bad idea for me at my workplace to continue to sanitize studios and to sanitize work areas so that I'm not getting myself into a situation where I'm going to get sick. It doesn't have to be COVID-19. It can be just the flu, period. As my wife likes to tell me, there's as many people will die from the flu every year as there are people dying from COVID-19. She's absolutely correct on that. You know, the, the medical professionals will tell you that it doesn't matter whether it's COVID-19 or anything else that you can catch. If you're not careful and you don't do the proper things, you can put yourself at great risk. So th- these are habits that, that are being learned that aren't a bad thing to carry over moving on into the into the future here for for all of us really uh, i hear you and you know i i right now i live in the country and i drive into the city once a week to do you know a grocery run and i i order it online so they bring it out to the car i don't have to go into yeah. the store or anything like that but uh even if i have to go into a grocery or a, you know a pharmacy or something to renew prescriptions i got the mask and i'm putting it on but and i'm the only one in the store who's wearing one other than the people yeah. who work at the drugstore and i i just look around i'm like how is nobody taking this 
as seriously as they need to be. And I know in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, it seems to be under uh, much more under control than it is here, uh, even in Alberta. And it's pretty good here too. Uh, but we're not out of the woods yet. No, we're not out of the woods. That's that's the key thing to remember is we're not out of the woods. I mean, we look in our province here in Saskatchewan, and uh, the last few days we've had a spike in uh, in numbers. Uh, we had a big spike. In fact, our biggest one day uh, update of numbers COVID nineteen cases out of the uh, southwest and central areas, uh, west central areas of Saskatchewan. Uh, and, you know, some people thought that they were in pretty good shape in, uh, in communal situations, and turns out, well, they aren't. Uh, they ended up, you know, somebody caught the virus, spread it, and you've got all the contact tracing, and now all of a sudden we're finding out that there's all these cases. So uh, if you ended up being in contact with those people, you are now at risk. And so there's a lot more testing going on. They're being very aggressive to make sure that they nip this in the bud as quickly as possible. But we've had three or four different outbreaks in the province. Uh, and it's, you know, that second wave that everybody talks about, that has to be minded as well, that people have to keep that in mind uh, a little later on as well, is that you can't let your guard down. As soon as you do that, bang, we could be right back to where we were in mid-March and into April. Man, did you say southwest uh, Saskatchewan, like Cypress Hills? I'm supposed to go in a couple of weeks on a family yeah, trip. Yeah, that's, that's the, the, the one hospital there, Cypress Hospital, yesterday was, uh, they didn't say that there's an outbreak there, but they're, t- they're warning people that there's restrictions and guidelines as to who can actually go into the hospital. But there are about 11 or 12 rural municipalities where there has been uh, cases of COVID-19 and, you know, they're listed in the government of Saskatchewan's uh, uh, website as to, you know, be mindful, be careful if you're going into those areas to make sure that you do all the proper things you're supposed to do in order to avoid catching COVID-19. All right, Les, let's get back to the hockey. Les Lazarick, the longtime voice of the Saskatoon Blades uh, and a new host of uh, a new podcast uh, with the uh, with the Saskatoon Blades. Tell me about that. Well, this was something that the Blades, uh, it's a Blades initiative, the team initiative, and uh, it's been talked to me in the past, and I'm kind of like the co-host. I'm not the main host. The main host is Mitch Bach, who formerly was at uh, Chat TV and Medicine Hat, hmm. and when the beginning of 2020 became the new communications director with the Blades, and uh, between himself and the former communications director and the guy who's running the business uh, operations with the Blades, now Tyler Warwick, they put their heads together and thought, you know, this would be another way to engage our fan base and uh, let's get less involved as well. And so we recorded our first um, uh, podcast yesterday, uh, Mitch and I, and we had Scott Walford, the Blade defenseman, on. And so I'm not sure when that's going to drop. It should be dropping any time off of the Blade's website. You'll be able to catch it off of the website where I work out of, cjwwradio.com. That will be available in the next, in the not too distant future or through that as well. But uh, that podcast will be every week. Will be somebody different joining us. Um, you know, if I'm on holidays, Tyler will join Mitch. If Mitch is on holidays, Tyler will join myself. But we'll have a guest on, of course, right now by phone. Although you never know, we might be able to do something live with somebody if they happen to be in town. Uh, there's a Saskatoon kid or a Saskatoon executive or somebody like that. Uh, we'll, they, they, it's going to run the gamut. If there's a Saskatoon Blades alumnus, and there's a few of those around here, so uh, we're we're going to try and you know get various different guests on and then try and engage the fans and contests and other things like that and uh, and just have some fun with uh, with the Blades team and the Western Hockey League. So that's a great idea. I know Corey Graham and I had tried to get the uh, Oil Kings on board with uh, a similar idea uh, for the last year or so and uh, haven't been able to convince them uh, 
just yet, but uh, maybe you're trailblazing and uh, everybody's going to follow suit. That would be great uh, for sure. Um, yeah. All right, Les, we, we mentioned it, what, 40 years now you've been uh, the voice of the Blades? No, not 40 years voice of the Blades. Uh, it's, I just finished my 26th season as voice of the Blades. Uh, I'm coming up on the October long weekend or after the, the, the Monday after the October long weekend. It'll be 40 years in radio for me. Okay. Uh, started in 1980 at CKLQ Radio in Brandon. And, uh, yeah, I haven't looked back. Uh, <laughs> right now, it's kind of like back to the future for me right now with COVID-19. I'm actually <laughs> reading newscasts on CJWW. And so uh, that's only started in the beginning of April. Um, I hadn't done that. Probably the last newscast I re- read on a regular basis would have been back in March or April of 1981 uh, when I first started my responsibilities as a junior reporter were news and sports. And so I worked weekend mornings early and you know three days a week into the evenings and covered such things as town councils out in the rural areas of western manitoba so uh yeah that's uh that like i say this is kind of like back to the future a little bit i'm not I'm not i'm out of my realm a little bit i find but uh, i'm trying my best and trying to be as much help as i can be uh while things are going on because let's face it there's not a whole heck of a lot going on sports wise but we're trying to drum things up as well today here we had uh, the University of Saskatchewan getting government money to uh, put new turf in at Griffith Stadium where the Husky football team plays. So that was something I was following up on today. And there's other things that are coming up. But, you know, as COVID becomes a little less uh, prevalent and we try to reopen the economy here, I know that the uh, racetracks, the um, auto racing tracks are starting to think about starting up again. We've got local baseball going on. So it's fun to actually read scores again, which is mm-hmm. something we didn't do for about three months, three or three and a half months. Well, when you were uh, a youngster getting into uh, radio initially, was the end goal to to uh, get into sports broadcasting at that time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my my initial thought, though, was I was going to be a sports writer. Uh, and in fact, I did write for both the Winnipeg broadsheet newspapers of the time back in the late 70s and 1980. Uh, and unfortunately, my newspaper writing career as a sports writer came to an end when the Winnipeg Tribune was uh, take, you know, folded hmm. back on August 25th of, of 1980. Black Tuesday was. Uh, so suddenly I was without a job. And the next thing I know, I needed to do something else. And the thought was, well, you've got a pretty good voice. Why don't you try radio? I applied for a job in Morton, Manitoba, and the PD there, the program director there said, why don't you, he said, I'm probably going to hate myself for this, but why don't you talk to this fellow over in Brandon, and I happened to know who the guy was, Ron Arntz, my news director at CKLQ, give him a call, he's looking for somebody, I called him, and the rest, of they say, is history. Well, you've got a voice for radio. I got a face for radio, so you got an advantage. Uh, <laughs> I've got that. I've got that too. <laughs> um, when did you get to Saskatoon and, and get behind the mic for the Blades? Uh, and how did that happen for you? 1994. I started here, September 1st, 1994. Um, I had worked from Brandon. I moved to CJOB in Winnipeg, which Winnipeg's home for me. Uh, CJOB to me was the radio station of the time. Growing up, uh, they had all the sports. They had the Jets rights. They had the Blue Bomber rights. Uh, they did uh, baseball whenever there was baseball. They did all kinds of sports. They have 25 after the hour sports reports every hour of every day. Uh, so that was a big deal to me. And when I got the opportunity to work for CJOB uh, in 1983, I thought that was wonderful, except we had a management change. There was a difference in philosophies. 
I was let go at the beginning of 1994. I ended up spending the rest of that summer doing play-by-play of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, their return mm. to action. Baseball's Winnipeg Gold Eyes in the Northern League. Uh, myself and Peter Young, who used to be on the CTV uh, doing CFL games, the two of us driving around the countryside following the Gold Eyes and playing golf in the morning and calling baseball games at night. That was a, that was a great summer. But in the meantime, uh, there was changes here in Saskatoon in the radio business, and uh, I contacted a friend of mine who was the, uh, the uh, sales manager at CJWW at the time and uh, said, what are you guys doing about the blades? He said, we're going to take them on. I said, do you have a play-by-play guy? He says, no, are you interested? I said, yep. <laughs> and one thing led to another, and here I am, September of 1994. Suddenly I'm doing the Western Hockey League and the Saskatoon Blades. Wow, so that's uh, that's a long time now you've been with the Blades, and uh, they've had some really strong years, some uh, some at the opposite uh, side of the ledger as well, yep. but there's been a lot of big-name players who have come through Saskatoon over the years. Well, who are some of the guys that immediately come to mind? Well, right away, when you think of taking over in 1994, there were guys like Frank Bannum, who ended up scoring 83 goals in the 95-96 season. Mark Diel was the scoring champion in 95-96. Rhett Warner uh, on defense played in the National Hockey League. Uh, Paul Buczkowski was the captain of the team and still lives here, still a guy that I talk to every once in a while. Uh, you move on and uh, you think of people like Martin Erat, who had a long NHL career, a long professional career, came over from uh, the Czech Republic and uh, may be the best uh, import player. Uh, you think to your, uh, in Blades history, uh, you think of Devin Setaguchi coming along uh, and being a first-round uh, draft pick by the San Jose Sharks, a uh, big-time player that won helped win a series in 2005 uh, for the Blades against the uh, Regina Pats. And then you move on into the uh, late 2000s, Braden Holtby playing in goal, uh, some pretty good players on that team, including Braden Shen. In fact, I did a whole Twitter rant today about some about Braden Shen's acquisition and uh, some people you know still look back at that trade and don't like it I'll say that 20 other GMs would have made that trade in a heartbeat back then and still would today uh, you can't do a lot about things that happen inside a locker room so that's uh, that's where that ends up going but uh, Braden Shen played on that team Duncan Siemens played on that team the 2013 Memorial Cup was a lot of fun to be involved with. Uh, there were some great players on that team, including Michael Furland, who's playing in the NHL. And then you think uh, going on into the into the Priestner ownership era and people like Nikita Sherback, who came out of nowhere and had a tremendous year, uh, and, and the guys that are playing nowadays. And uh, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun over the course of time to, to think about all the kids that have played. Kirby Dock, of course, being the most recent, and seeing him move on into the NHL and playing for the Chicago Blackhawks this past season. One name you didn't mention, a uh, young goaltender named Cam Moon. Uh, he would have been the play-by-play guy when he was there, no? Nope. Oh, Cam is before, just before that. Oh. Cam, Cam is before my time. Cam is before my time. But uh, he he fills me in regularly, though, on the types of teams and the types of players and the types of characters. And that's probably the stuff I get the most kick out of, is, is Cam talking about some of the guys that he played with and some of the things they did, some of the things that they uh, got into in their course of time, and it's it's hilarious. Again, to me, that's where the fun is. The, the hockey's great. The players are great to, to watch the development as they go from young boys to, to young men and, uh, and you know, the people that you end up affiliating with and associating with the coaching staffs and, and the GMs and that sort of a thing. But 
it's it's the people basically the, the friendships that you make the the relationships you build over the course of time and to hear what cam says about some of the guys from before my time uh is, is really quite a lot of fun to listen to how much has the league changed uh over the 26 years that you've been in uh involved with the blades um you know not just the, uh, the on ice product but you know the travel the rinks uh, they've all been upgraded over the years as well it just it's got to be night and day difference yeah it is it is night and day different uh uh, I think back to some of the some of the drinks that I went to in the beginning, uh, the old Seattle Center Arena where the Thunderbirds played, uh, where the corners were so squared off. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the Glass Palace is still there in Portland, but we've played enough games in the Rose Garden or the Moda Center, as they call it now. Uh, Spokane, uh, the very first time I went to Spokane was in the old Spokane Arena that was saw the beautiful arena being built next door that time that we were there back in 1994. But uh, the old arena where, I don't know, it was like a maze trying to get from the ice surface to my broadcast location. I, I almost felt like a, like a ball bearing inside of a pinball machine bouncing off walls, trying to find where I was supposed to be that first time into, into the old Spokane arena. And, uh, you know, the old Kelowna arena, when the Rockets first came to be, uh, Prospera Place is, is beautiful, but the old uh, Memorial Arena in 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 Kelowna was something. Prince George, the very first time into PG before before their new rink was was a, was a treat. Uh, and you can go on and on and on about some of the some of the arena changes. The amenities are so much better nowadays. Uh, uh, the organizations are so much better. You get so much more help in terms of notes and and being able to have access. To uh, people and and being able to do your job that much more efficiently and um, and the bus travel is different. Uh, we do a lot. You know, there's there's fewer uh, games that you go to and play that night and then come right back home. I mean, I've been on day trips to Edmonton and back when the ice were first in Edmonton back in the late 90s. That would be a one day trip. Mm. You know, we would just be there and back, and that's that was long. And, and then you had to be expected to be into work the next day. Um, same thing with uh, Red Gear. We did that a few times. Same thing, Medicine Hat. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the travel has changed. The, the, the attitudes towards making sure that you look after your players and your staff that much better is, is so much different than what it was back in those days, Guy. Uh, I'm wondering, when it comes to arena upgrades, the, it's a metal ladder to get into the press box in Swift Current. Uh, you know, <laughs> back in the day, would it have been like a rope ladder, like a, for your old treehouse when you were a kid or something? Uh, what was it before it was upgraded to a metal ladder? I, I've only known the metal ladder. Okay. That's all I've ever known. <laughs> you, know, it, 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 you, you crawl up the ladder on the side of the building, and basically you have to chuck your gear up and your bags and everything up top onto the platform first, then climb up and then coming down, you're sitting there, you know, either you can try to one hand on the ladder and one hand onto a bag or a case and try and balance yourself to get down, or you get down and you've got things sort of hanging precariously over the ledge of the uh, platform and you're trying to make sure you can shimmy it so that you can bring it down and hope that it doesn't fall on you or fall on somebody and hurt them. Uh, I, I'm just shocked that nobody has fallen uh, and hurt themselves severely going up and down that ladder. Uh, I mean, I, I, and I hope it's not me being the first one uh, when we finally do get back to playing, but uh, I, I've been told that there would be changes, but it didn't happen. And I'm really hoping that at some point in time, the, uh, the Centennial Arena or the uh, Innovation Iplex uh, in, in Swift Current will be 
having a different look to it so that you know us, us radio guys us media people aren't putting our lives in our hands trying to go up and down that ladder. Uh, I keep uh, asking uh, Brent Sutter when he's going to put an escalator in Red Deer, or an elevator, rather, <laughs> up to the press box, and he keeps telling me, you guys just complain too much, you got to get in better shape. But, boy, those stairs in Red Deer got to be the steepest in the league. Red Deer and Regina, those those are the steep stairs. Uh, and so, yeah, those are the players. That's why people say, well, geez, you, know, you seem to be in decent shape. I don't have to go to the gym. In the wintertime, I just have to go to some of these different locations and go up and down <laughs> the stairs carrying all my gear. And that's a, that's a workout in itself, just getting to and from the uh, broadcast locations. Yeah. Uh, the worst the worst used to be, until I found that there was an elevator on the one side to get up to the broadcast side at the Saddle Dome in Calgary, used to be you had to go up the one side near where the dressing rooms are, and you'd walk across the catwalk over top of the ice surface, over top of the clock. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate heights, which is really strange when you consider what I do and how high I have to be in some places in order to call games. But in Calgary, I would actually take one piece of equipment at a time. So I'd take my equipment case, go across, drop it down, go back across, grab my uh, computer bag, walk it across, go back, pick up my bag with all my files in it and walk it back across. It was three or four back and forths over top of that ice surface, trying not to look down. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where until I found that there was another elevator on the right side to get to my broadcast location, I hated going to Calgary to the Saddle Dome for that, just for that reason. Yeah, well, it's an adventure, too. I've been up there myself. Uh, great vantage point once you're in your in your box, but, oh. yeah, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, who, which rink has the best vantage point? I know uh, there's a lot of people who like Saskatoon. I, I hear Prince Albert, though, might be the uh, the best uh, from a broadcast perspective. From a pure broadcast perspective, the Arthauser Center in PA is easily the best. You are so close to the ice surface. You're hanging basically right over the top of it, and you're not very high. Uh, and as a result, you can literally hear what's going on on the ice without even, you know, with, with, you know, through your through your microphone on your uh, and your headphones on your uh, on your headset, uh, it, it, it's phenomenal. Uh, you, the, the 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 viewpoint there in PA is the best. Swift Current's pretty close to being next, um, and I'm sorry to say, Guy, but for those of us that do these games, uh, Edmonton is the worst now. The Red <laughs> Rogers Place, uh, <laughs> you're, you're nine miles away. They look like ants, and I know guys tell me that some guys actually call the game off of the monitor that's sitting right in front of them or off of the scoreboard uh, video screen. So it's not the best. We I know we took a rangefinder out uh, one day, and I think it was 109 yards to the uh, oh. to the ice level uh, from the press box uh, in Edmonton. Uh, that was going to be my question, was who's got the worst? You mentioned Swift Current's really good, but at times you're kind of ducking under the girders and stuff on the roof there, aren't you? Yeah, a little bit, but uh, I, I, it's one of the few places where I'll actually sit in one spot for the entire game and not move around. Uh, a lot of times I will stand up uh, or, you know, sit in my chair and sort of you know, move around in the booth and try to get better vantage points. Uh, in Swift Current, you basically sit and that's it. You've got nowhere else to go. It's actually still better, though, that way. Then the old Memorial Arena in Kelowna. We'll go back to that one. Yeah. Where in Kelowna, uh, you actually had to do almost like you, you were doing a, a routine of, of stretching. Because in order to see different parts of the ice in different ends, you had to kind of 
adjust and contort your body out of the booth in order to see different areas. And uh, uh, that made it kind of interesting in order to see what was going on in Kelowna. But uh, that was fine. I almost got hit by a puck being cleared out of the zone in the old Kootenay rink in Cranbrook uh, before the new one that they have. Um, because, again, you're, it was pretty close to hanging over top of the uh, uh, ice surface. And it was very low, similar to Prince Albert. And I remember one time watching the play in the end, I had myself kind of you know, leaning out over the edge of the booth, looking to see what was going on in the near side corner. And all of a sudden the puck was getting flipped out and it, you know, skipped right by my face. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> what was that? Well, that was the puck being cleared out on the ice by a team that had been under pressure, under siege for much of the previous minute or so in their own zone. So that was something. And then the old Prince George ring. This this, this is still one of my best stories, Guy. And I'm sorry I'm going on and on. Oh, here, please but, do, please do. Uh, my, my first road trip, so we, we, in 1994, we played five games, the Blades did, and then we were off on the road trip, the, the West Division trip. So we went Spokane, Tri-Cities, Tacoma was still in the league. Uh, and there was a bad place to broadcast from, similar to Edmonton. You were nine miles away in the old Tacoma Dome. Uh, Seattle in the old Seattle Center Arena, Portland. And then you went and played Kamloops, which was the new rink finally, Riverside Coliseum, and then up to Prince George. And they were still in their old rink. So the night before we go up to Prince George, Jeff Patterson uh, was calling the games for the Blazers. And he warns me, he says, if you're dropping a crowd mic, don't drop it down. And I says, why? He says, well, you'll see when you get there. He says, you're not very high off the rink. And if you drop a crowd, a, a, a mic down, it's going to be dangling just over top of the heads of your uh, people on the bench of your team. So <laughs> I guess the first time he did a game in Prince George, he took a commercial break, went back to his, uh, his producer back in the studio. And the producer says, Wow, what's going on there? You know, everybody, you can hear kind of all kinds of swearing from people. <laughs> and he looked down and saw that there indeed was his microphone dangling over top of the Kamloops bench, and the Blazers had not been having a very good time of it against the Cougars, it was with the officiating especially. And they were shouting and yelling and swearing. And so it's all being picked up by the crowd, Mike, that Jeff had, had dangling down. So, uh, so, yeah, you kind of have to just sort of lean it on your ledge and shoot it out over the ice surface so that you don't pick up any of that extracurricular yeah. activity as far as language goes. And that's, that's a, wow. It, those are the things that you get in, in, in minor hockey. You don't have to worry about those things in the National Hockey League. Uh, unless you make a player and they end up doing something silly like that too. That's so. right. That's right. Uh, just for the listeners' benefit, a crowd mic is uh, what you do is, as you mentioned, you drop yes. it down from the the broadcast booth. It's just to get ambient sound to hear the crowd a little bit, so it's not so, um, you know, it doesn't exactly. sound like you're in a studio or something like that. Just wanted to point that out for the uh, the listeners who might not know what uh, what we were talking about there. Uh, when it comes to road trips, and, and obviously the Western Hockey League, there's got to be some legendary stories of uh, uh, bus trips or you know, going into the snow or uh, through the mountain passes or running into wildlife. Uh, anything immediately jump out for you? We hit a moose coming out of Prince George heading home uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago now. Um, we played the Cougars. It was the end of our uh, BC trip. And we're maybe about an hour out of Prince George. So we're out in the middle of nowhere on the Yellowhead Highway heading for home. And all of a sudden, I was asleep. And all of a sudden, I heard our bus driver yell out an expletive and hammer on the brakes. And all boom, and there's this thud. And, oh, my goodness, what happened? And we wake up and look around and, okay, we've hit a moose. We fortunately hit the moose on the 
uh, rear end as it was coming across. Bus driver was able to do just enough to, you know, avoid it for the most part, but he hit the moose who was crossing from his left across the highway to the right side. Mm-hmm. And on the right hand side of the bus, the bus made contact with the moose, sent it careening into the ditch. Uh, and I think it was okay. I think it ran off. I don't, I don't know. I never did see. Yeah. That's what moose do but when they get hit by a vehicle. They just get up and walk away. Yeah. And they go away. But the right hand side of the bus <laughs> kind of crunched in. So. The but the door is open and it's winter. Like this is late November. It's minus thirty out in the middle of nowhere. We got to try and crank the door so that it closes. Otherwise, we're all going to freeze in there. And the bus is still operational. Fortunately, we're able to drive it, but we had to close that door. And the only way we could close that door was to, I, I sacrificed a belt. I took the belt off my pants. We tied it to the door latch onto the front seat, sort of like the facing there on the bus and made sure that it stayed closed and we continued on and we nursed the bus into, I believe it was Edson or Hinton in Alberta Mm -hmm. and called ahead over, thank goodness we had cell phones. Uh, We were able to call PA Northern, which is our bus provider, and they brought a bus up from Banff to meet us we were able to transfer everything over, got onto the new bus in, I think it was Edson, and then continued on the rest of the way home. Uh, that would be probably the, the the fabled one. There was another time where we were coming out of Seattle and heading for Tri-Cities. And we ended up going into the Snoqualmie Pass, and it started to snow, but we didn't think nothing was much going to happen. Well, we got up into the Snoqualmie Pass there in uh, just outside of Seattle, and it is just coming down. You can't see. Hmm. And so we pull over to the side of the road and it says you can continue if you have chains. Well, how often does the Saskatoon Blades bus need chains sure. in order to go? So we don't have them. So this, the, we, the, the highway patrol said, well, you have to turn around and go back. So, yeah, okay, we go back and we get down to the I- I-5 and go south all the way down into Portland and then take Portland across and end up in Tri-Cities. Well, what should have only been like about a three, four-hour drive and gotten in at like two in the morning into Kennewick, we ended up getting in at eight in the morning and had to play the Americans that night. So, you know, everybody's clocks were screwed up, and it was it was, it was was quite the night that night trying to, you know, get, get sleep and, you know, figure out how we we're going to get around and get over to Tri-Cities, and, yeah, there was... It was one of those nights where the way it goes, you, you can't do much about the weather sometimes. Now, you were not driving, right? That's, uh, that's you know, the driving uh, broadcaster uh, is left only in Medicine Hat. That's uh, only in Medicine that, Hat that happens? Yep. He is, he is unique in that way. That is Bob Ridley's <laughs> domain. Nobody else can say they do, they do that. I'm, I'm sure some guys maybe did, but didn't do it all that often or not all that. You know, Bob did it regularly. He was the guy. For, for many, many, many years. And, Crazy. uh, no, I, I wouldn't want that responsibility. Uh, you know, there's, there's too many precious lives at stake for me to be driving a bus when I don't have the proper, uh, accreditation to do that sort of a thing. So, uh, you know, I, I'm more than happy to let the professional bus drivers drive and I'll be more than happy to relax and, and sleep and know that I'm going to get from point A to point B, uh, pretty safely. There, there really haven't been many, instances where we've been uh close to having 
you know, knock on wood on that one too, uh, you know, that we would have something similar to what happened, unfortunately, to the Swift Current Broncos back in 86 and to, of course, to the Humboldt Broncos in 2018. There hasn't been anything that's come close, remotely close to that as far as my travels over the course of 26 seasons have gone. Now, Ridley, uh, Bob Ridley has been there for 50 years in Medicine Hat. You're uh, now 26 years in. Is that next longest tenure in the, in the dub, as far as you know, or is there another team that's had a broadcast no. or longer? Well, um, I think as far as consecutive years with the same team, I would be second. But in terms of guys who have been in the in their longer than me period in the league, I would think that Craig West okay. would be second in terms of total tenure. But of course, his time is spent with Spokane, Tri Cities. And also some time with Vancouver. Oh, I did not know uh, that. When the Giants first came, to, when the Giants first came to be, he actually did some Giants games uh, in between time with Spokane and Tri Cities. But Craig would be number two in that respect, and then I believe I'm next. Okay, excellent, uh, and no end in sight. You're still going strong. As soon as we uh, get back to, uh, assuming we get back to normal here soon. My my health is good, Guy. So as long as my health is good, uh, and my passion is there. Uh, and it is as long as those things remain, then I'm, I intend on continuing to do this until somebody says, get the heck out of here. We've had enough of you. <laughs> and hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> no chance that that's going to happen. Les, listen, I really appreciate the time. I kept you a long time, but, uh, really entertaining uh, right. stories. And, uh, I really appreciate you making the time. Hopefully the next time we chat, it's in person. Uh, unfortunately, it'll be at the, uh, in the stratosphere at the, uh, downtown rink here in Edmonton. I don't care. I would be more than happy to be doing a game at the downtown rink in Edmonton sooner than later, Guy, and I'd love to see you again. I'd love to see everybody again around the league. Yeah. So I just urge everybody to follow what you're supposed to do, and the sooner we do that and the sooner we can get back to some sense of normal, the sooner we're going to be back in the rinks. That's my fervent hope that comes out of all of this. Well said, Les. Thanks for this. Not a problem, Guy. Good to talk to you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Oh, what an absolute beauty. Les Lazarek, uh, voice of the Saskatoon Blades. Uh, great stories. Uh, man, can you imagine being stuck on the bus, minus 30 outside, and you're basically driving with the top down? Uh, except for your belt. <laughs> He's like MacGyver. Taking off the belt and uh, closing the door. And uh, oh, that's funny. Great stuff. Uh, one question I didn't get to was, you know, he's got the trademark, Heidi Ho, let's go. Uh, I didn't ask him about that and where that originated, but... Uh, Next time. All right, that does it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Thanks to uh, Les, as well as uh, Jordan DeCourt and uh, Michael Farkas from HockeyProspect.com. Great show. It really came together at the end of the week. And quite honestly, I said at the start of this week's episode, I, you know, Tuesday came around. I didn't have a guest booked. I was uh, getting a little nervous. Didn't know what to do. Uh, but it really came through in the end. Uh, speaking of next week, I, right now I don't have any plans. So we'll get some stuff uh, put together. Just a couple of... Uh, just two shows left in season 15 when we come back in August, and there'll be a, a week or two off at the start of August. Just giving you the heads up now. Got uh, well, at least tentatively, have a uh, family vacation to plan down to uh, Cypress Hills there in uh, Southwest Saskatchewan. Family and I will all be uh, getting uh, COVID tested before we go, and uh, assuming everything is good, uh, then we're going to go uh, spend some uh, camping time in isolation. Celebrate my wife uh, being able to uh, rejoin the family after living in a trailer for the last uh, two months in our driveway. Thanks to Arcan RV for that, by the way. Uh, so I'm going to take the first couple of weeks of August off when we come back. Season 16 of the Pipeline Show. It's going to be different because 
usually we'd be talking, you know, after the draft and uh, kind of ramifications and, and uh, getting ready for the start of the next season. Training camps uh, would be opening up. Uh, not going to be the case right now. So uh, we'll see what the start of season 16 looks like. But before we get there, a couple more weeks left to go. If you have any guest requests, you can fire those off to me on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. Or if you're a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show, you can send me a message there as well. And maybe you can help me plan out the uh, last couple episodes here of season 15. Lastly, just a reminder, uh, hey, wear your mask out in public. Uh, if you're going into a, a mall or into a store or something like that, just put a mask on. It's not that big of a deal. It uh, protects other people from you. And uh, if they're wearing a mask, you're protected from them. It's not going to restrict your breathing or any of those uh, arguments that you hear people make. Uh, sometimes because they don't want to wear a mask, they might look silly. If we're all wearing masks, we all look the same. We're all in this together. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your family. Take care of your neighbors. Be kind to each other. Be kind to strangers. Because life has been tough for everybody here the last four months. And the way things are going, uh, we could be in this a lot longer. That's it. Off the soapbox. Until next week, everybody. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya. See ya.